Welcome back to Songs for FRCR. We're back with the much-anticipated Brain Tumours Part 2. If you have not heard Brain Tumours Part 1 from two weeks ago, please go and listen to that first. In Brain Tumours Part 1, we covered groups 1 to 4, and today we will do groups 5 to 7. The tumour groups we are doing today are intraventricular tumours, CP angle lesions, and a miscellaneous group of things that I've thrown together. Before we make a start, we'd just like to take a moment and say thank you to everyone who has shown their appreciation through email, through Twitter, voice messages. It really does motivate us to create more. We've had messages of appreciation from the UK, from Portugal, from Nigeria, the States, everywhere. Soon we're going to start reading out some of your emails and playing the voice messages. Do keep them coming in. We've had a few requests for Disney songs and shockingly there are no Disney songs about cancer, brain tumours or illness in general. But of course we are here to help you so we've been thinking laterally and we've come up with a song that is in some way related to brain the visual cortex and sight. So buckle up, here we go, Brain Tumours Part 2. We're going to start with intraventricular tumours and there are five I'm going to talk about. These are the only five you really need to know. They are central neurocytoma, intraventricular meningioma, choroid plexus papilloma, SAGA and subependymoma. We're going to start with central neurocytoma. How are you going to spot a central neurocytoma in an exam? That's what you want to know, and I'm going to tell you. A central neurocytoma will be a young adult. 70% occur between the ages of 20 and 40. This young adult, between 20 and 40, will present with a slow history, a few months of a headache. When you image this 20 to 40 year old who's had a headache for a few months, you will find a heterogeneous, lobulated mass attached to the septum pellucidum. It will have multiple cystic areas, giving it a bubbly appearance. 
It's often calcified and the pattern of calcification is usually punctate. And if it's big, then hemorrhage is quite common. It's a low-grade tumour. It's a who-grade 2 tumour and prognosis is excellent. Let's just recap that. Central neurocytoma, a 20 to 40 year old presenting with a few months of a headache. You image them and you will find a lobulated heterogeneous mass attached to the septum pellucidum. It will have multiple cystic areas giving it a bubbly appearance, punctate calcification and if it's a large neurocytoma it will have hemorrhage. That's it for central neurocytoma. Let's move on to intraventricular meningioma. Whereas central neurocytoma affected young adults, an intraventricular meningioma classically affects females in their 40s. The question will talk about a middle-aged female with a solid mass in the trigone of the lateral ventricle. If you hear that, it's an intraventricular meningioma. 80% of these are in the trigone of the lateral ventricle. Like with all meningiomas, they are hypercellular and homogeneously enhancing. Compared to regular meningiomas, the intraventricular ones are more likely to be calcified. 50% of them will be calcified. So an intraventricular meningioma will be a middle-aged female in her 40s with a solid hypercellular homogeneously enhancing calcified mass in the trigon of the lateral ventricle. Let's quickly recap. I make no apology for the repetition. It's the only way to learn. We're doing intraventricular tumours. I said we're going to talk about five different tumours. Central neurocytoma, intraventricular meningioma, choroid plexus papilloma, SEGA and subependymoma. So now we've done central neurocytoma and intraventricular meningioma. We'll move on to the third of the five in this group, choroid plexus papilloma. A choroid plexus papilloma is the most common brain tumour in babies under the age of one. In babies, you'll find it in the atrium of the lateral ventricle. If you have it in adults, you'll find it within the fourth ventricle. It can occur in other places like the third ventricle, but by far the most common are atrium of lateral ventricle for kids and fourth ventricle for adults. What features make a choroid plexus papilloma recognisable in an exam? Let me tell you. What you'll see is a lobulated heterogeneous mass. It's sometimes described as a cauliflower-like mass. The mass will be hyperintense on T2 and enhance avidly. It's a solid vascular tumour and the enhancement is described as being very vivid frond-like enhancement. So I've said a lobulated heterogeneous mass which is T2 hyperintense and avidly enhancing with vivid frond-like enhancement. 25% have speckled calcification, 80% of people will have hydrocephalus. That's both because there is CSF overproduction and there's also decreased resorption. Choroid plexus papilloma does have some associations. The first is ACARDI syndrome, A-I-C-A-R-D-I. -A -A -I. 
and also von Hippel-Lindau. If it occurs in the setting of von Hippel-Lindau, you may well also see an associated hemangioblastoma. Hemangioblastoma we talked about in group 4. Now choroid plexus papilloma is a WHO grade 1 lesion, but it does have a malignant counterpart, the choroid plexus carcinoma. It's usually very difficult to distinguish the papilloma from the carcinoma on imaging. One clue would be a papilloma usually enhances homogeneously. If you see heterogeneous enhancement, then consider carcinoma. So let's go over choroid plexus papilloma again. It's the most common brain tumour in children aged less than one year. I've said in kids, you'll most likely find it in the atrium of the lateral ventricle. In adults, within the fourth ventricle. You will see a lobulated, heterogeneous, cauliflower-like mass. It's a solid vascular tumour, which will be T2 hyperintense and avidly enhancing with vivid frond-like enhancement. A quarter will have speckled calcification, 80%, the vast majority, will have hydrocephalus. Associations are Acardi syndrome and von Hippel-Lindau, in which case you'll often see an associated hemangioblastoma. That's three down, two to go. If you notice, the demographics have been very different for the three tumours I've talked about. Central neurocytoma, was young adults 20 to 40. Intraventricular meningioma were 40-year-old females, middle-aged females. And the choroid plexus papilloma is babies under the age of one. Let's move on now to SEGA. SEGA, S-E-G-A, is subependymal giant cell astrocytoma. This is almost exclusive to patients with tuberous sclerosis. These occur in young people under the age of 20. What we think happens is patients with tuberous sclerosis develop subependymal nodules within the ventricular wall. Over time, these subependymal nodules become a SEGA. What you'll see on imaging, therefore, is an enhancing mass in the lateral ventricle somewhere near the foramen of Monroe. It's usually bigger than a centimetre and it can be calcified. If you do see this, if you see an enhancing mass in the lateral ventricle near the foramen of Monroe, which is calcified and bigger than a centimetre in a patient with tuberous sclerosis, and that's practically pathognomic. SEGA will enhance, usually enhance avidly, but enhancement will not differentiate between a simple subependymal nodule of tuberous sclerosis and then the formation of a SEGA because the nodules also enhance. So to recap, SEGA, subependymal giant cell astrocytoma, this is almost exclusively in tuberous sclerosis patients. They are aged under 20, an enhancing mass is what you'll see, avidly enhancing within the lateral ventricle near the foramen of Monroe. It may be calcified, usually bigger than a centimetre. If you see this appearance, if you see an enhancing mass, near the foramen of Moreau within the lateral ventricle and it's calcified bigger than a centimetre, look for other signs of tuberous sclerosis. That's it for SEGA. Final one in this group is subependymoma. The name sounds like it might be related to ependymoma, 
or it might be related to Sega. It's not in fact related to either of them. It's got nothing to do with either of them. A subependymoma is a tumour of the ependymal cells that line the ventricles. First of all, it is non-enhancing. It's a non-enhancing, low-grade tumour and often is only found incidentally. The patient will be middle-aged or older. Where will the subependymoma occur? It will either occur inferiorly in the fourth ventricle or at the foramen of Monroe within the lateral ventricle. Let me say that again. Subependymoma is a non-enhancing, low-grade tumour, which is often an incidental finding. Middle-aged, older adults. I've said it's commonly found inferiorly in the fourth ventricle, also called the fourth ventricle obex, O-B-E-X, and also found within the lateral ventricle near the foramen of Monroe. If you were listening, you'll remember Sega is also found in the lateral ventricle near the foramen of Monroe. So how can you tell them apart? First of all, I've said twice now, subependymoma is non-enhancing. Sega is usually avidly enhancing. That's the first way to tell them apart. Secondly, I did say Sega is usually bigger than a centimetre. Subependymoma is usually small. It's usually less than a centimetre, at worst one to two centimetres. So if you don't have the clue of tuberous sclerosis, the two main ways you'll differentiate Sega from subependymoma is enhancement, Sega enhances, subependymoma does not, and size, Sega is usually bigger, more than a centimetre, subependymoma is usually less than a centimetre, at most one to two centimetres. So that's it. That's all five intraventricular tumours. Let me quickly recap and then we'll move on. The five tumours I talked about were central neurocytoma, intraventricular meningioma, choroid plexus papilloma, Sega and subependymoma. Central neurocytoma, first of all, this was the tumour that occurs in 20 to 40 year olds. It's a lobulated heterogeneous mass attached to the septum pellucidum. It will contain multiple cystic areas, giving it a bubbly appearance. It will have punctate calcification and, if large, may contain hemorrhage. Intraventricular meningioma was in middle-aged females. 80% are in the trigon of the lateral ventricle. It's a solid mass like any meningioma anywhere else. Hypercellular, homogeneously enhancing and more likely to be calcified compared to other meningiomas, 50%. Choroid plexus papilloma, the most common tumour in a child under the age of 1. In children, you will find it in the atrium of the lateral ventricle, in adults within the fourth ventricle. This is a lobulated, heterogeneous, cauliflower-like mass lesion, which is T2 hyperintense and avidly enhancing. The enhancement pattern is described as an avid, frond-like enhancement pattern. Quarter of them will have speckled calcification. The majority have hydrocephalus, and it's associated with Acardi syndrome and von Hippel-Lindau. 
choroid plexus papilloma is avidly enhancing. If the enhancement pattern is heterogeneous, this raises suspicion of a choroid plexus carcinoma, although it's not easy to distinguish the two on imaging. SAGA is exclusive to patients with tuberous sclerosis. What you'll see is an enhancing mass in the lateral ventricle near the foramen of Monroe, usually bigger than a centimetre and may be calcified. Finally, subependymoma, a non-enhancing, low-grade lesion often found incidentally in adults and older patients, usually inferiorly within the fourth ventricle or in the lateral ventricle near the foramen of Monroe. It's usually small, less than a centimetre, and does not enhance. I repeat, does not enhance. We now move on to group six of our seven brain tumour groups. Group six are tumours of the cerebellopontine angle. What is the cerebellopontine angle? Well, the clue is in the name. It's the space between the pons and the cerebellum. And what hangs out at the cerebellopontine angle that we might be interested in? A few things hang out there. Cranial nerves five, seven and eight and acre, the anterior inferior cerebellar artery. Most CP angle lesions are extraaxial, and let's go through five of them. The five are schwannoma, meningioma, arachnoid cyst, aneurysms, and epidermoid cyst. We're going to start with schwannomas, and particularly we're talking about vestibular schwannomas, or acoustic neuromas as we often call them. How will an acoustic neuroma present? Classically, it's with non-pulsatile tinnitus and sensory neural hearing loss in an adult. Let's talk about the pathology of acoustic neuromas first of all. These are benign, they're WHO grade 1 tumours. The vast majority, over 90%, arise from the inferior division of the vestibular nerve and they're said to arise at the transition point between glial and Schwann cells. That's called the Obersteiner-Redlich zone. So I'll say that again. The Obersteiner-Redlich zone is the transition point in a nerve where the glial cells are replaced by Schwann cells and that's where vestibular schwannomas are said to arise. If they occur bilaterally, that is strongly suggestive of neurofibromatosis too. So you have an adult with sensory neural hearing loss plus minus non-pulsatile tinnitus. When you image them, what you will see classically 
is a solid mass that causes widening of the porous acousticus. The porous acousticus is simply the inner or the medial opening of the internal acoustic canal and that's where the facial nerve, the vestibular cochlear nerve and the labyrinthine artery pass through. So let's say that again. Acoustic neuromas are solid masses that cause widening of the porous acousticus, the medial portion of the internal acoustic canal. These lesions are avidly enhancing and if they become particularly large then cystic change is common. Hemorrhage is also quite common, but the one thing you won't see is calcification. You can spot acoustic neuromas separate from the nerve fibres, and they'll usually splay and displace the nerve fibres rather than engulf them. Finally, acoustic schwannomas are often described as having an ice cream cone appearance. The ice cream bit is the CP angle lesion, and the cone is the intracanalicular component. Let's quickly regroup and recap schwannomas before I move on. Schwannomas comprise almost 90% of CP angle lesions. The vast majority arise from cranial nerve 8 and are termed acoustic neuromas. These are T2 hyperintense, avidly enhancing lesions. They're solid nodular masses that will cause widening of the porous acousticus. If they get particularly big, then cystic degeneration is very common, so they appear heterogeneous. I've said it a million times, but I'll say it again, they are very avidly enhancing and do not calcify. That's acoustic neuroma, the most common CP angle lesion. The second most common lesion at the CP angle are meningiomas. How are we going to tell a meningioma from an acoustic neuroma? There are a few ways. A meningioma will have dural enhancement. You'll also see a broad dural base and bony hyperostosis. 20% will calcify. Remember, schwannomas do not calcify. And finally, CP angle meningiomas will not enlarge the porous acousticus. So lots of ways to separate meningioma from acoustic neuroma. Let me quickly recap. We're currently on group six of our seven brain tumor groups. This is the CP angle lesions. The first one we talked about was a schwannoma, most often arising from the cranial nerve eight. The way to tell a schwannoma, it will be solid nodular avidly enhancing mass, often heterogeneous with cystic degeneration if it's large. It will cause widening of the porous acousticus and it will not calcify. The next most common is a meningioma and the way to tell this apart from a schwannoma, well there are a few ways, you will see dural enhancement, a broad dural base, bony hyperostosis and in 20% calcification. A meningioma will also not enlarge the porous acousticus. Now, as you know, because I've repeated it a million times, schwannoma comprises the vast majority of CP angle lesions. So all you really need to know for group six is how to differentiate a schwannoma from everything else in the group. 
We've just talked about how to differentiate it from meningioma. I'm now going to move on to epidermoid cyst. So how do we tell an epidermoid cyst apart from a schwannoma? That's very easy. First and foremost, an epidermoid cyst will not have any enhancing component and we know schwannoma is avidly enhancing. An epidermoid cyst will also not widen the internal auditory canal and schwannoma will. On MRI, on T1 and T2 weighted imaging, an epidermoid cyst will follow water signal. However, it won't suppress on flare and it will have restricted diffusion. Let me recap that again. Epidermoid cyst versus schwannoma. Epidermoid cyst will not have any enhancing components. It will not widen the internal auditory canal. It follows water signal on T1 and T2 weighted MR. It will not suppress on flare, however, and will show restricted diffusion. That's an epidermoid cyst. Another cyst you can get at the CP angle is an arachnoid cyst. This should be very easy because an arachnoid cyst will just follow CSF signal on every sequence, including flare, so it will suppress on flare. It's also not going to have any restricted diffusion. Finally, aneurysms can occur at the CP angle and there are four main vessels really. Pica, the posterior inferior cerebellar artery. Acre, the anterior inferior cerebellar artery and the vertebral and basilar arteries. An aneurysm is obviously going to be well defined. It's going to be avidly enhancing and will have flow voids on MR or pulsation artifact. A CTA or an MRA will diagnose that. So that's it, a very quick recap of cerebellar pontine lesions. These are all usually extraaxial, and I've mentioned a few, schwannoma being by far the most common, up to 90%. A schwannoma usually arises from the vestibular cochlear nerve, cranial nerve 8. You will see a T2 hyperintense, avidly enhancing solid mass, causing widening of the porous acousticus. If it's bilateral, then very strongly associated with neurofibromatosis too. If it's particularly large, then cystic degeneration is common, but you will not get calcification. Compare this to a meningioma, which can also occur at the CP angle. These will have a broad dual base and dual enhancement like with all meningiomas. They will also cause bony hyperostosis and 20% will calcify. They will not enlarge the porous acousticus. An epidermoid cyst was next, which follows water signal on T1 and T2 weighted MR imaging. It does not suppress on flare, however, and will show restricted diffusion. I then mentioned an arachnoid cyst, which just simply follows water on every MR sequence. It does not show restricted diffusion. And finally, aneurysms, usually of pica, acre, the vertebral and basilar arteries. They are easily identifiable with a CTA or an MRA. Now, I've said that CP angle tumours are usually extraaxial, and they are. A few intraaxial lesions can spread into the CP angle. These are usually the posterior fossa tumours that we've already talked about, gliomas, Appendomomas, appendomomas, remember, are the toothpaste tumour from group 2. 
these can squeeze out from the foramina of Lushka into the cerebellar pontine angle. Also, other posterior fossa lesions like hemangioblastoma and medulloblastoma can also spread into the cerebellar pontine angle. So tumours arising within the cerebellar pontine angle are usually extraaxial, but other intraaxial tumours can spread into that area. That's it for CP angle lesions. We have one final group and then we're done. We now move on to group 7 of 7, the miscellaneous group that I threw together. The three things I'm going to mention in this group are lymphoma, meningioma, which I've already alluded to many times, and metastases. So let's start with primary CNS lymphoma. This is usually a B-cell lymphoma where lots of immature blast cells form aggregated lymphoid tissue around the cerebral blood vessels in a periventricular pattern. This periventricular pattern is a key feature of CNS lymphoma. There are two other key features, the first of which is high cellularity. The high cellularity is what gives rise to its hyper-attenuating appearance on CT and the low T2 signal and restricted diffusion. The third key feature is lymphoma is classically known to melt away very quickly with chemoradiation treatment, but tends to recur aggressively. So primary CNS lymphoma occurs in a periventricular pattern. It has high cellularity, which gives it a hyper-attenuating CT appearance, low T2 signal on MR, and restricted diffusion. It also responds quickly to chemoradiation but does recur very aggressively. Now the appearance of lymphoma depends on whether the patient is immunocompromised or immunocompetent. We'll start with the immunocompetent patients. In this case what you'll see is an enhancing periventricular mass which crosses the corpus callosum to involve both cerebral hemispheres. Most common locations are the frontal lobes and the basal ganglia. I have already mentioned this in group one, but the differential diagnosis for a tumour that crosses the corpus callosum is lymphoma 
glioblastoma multiforme, GBM, and demyelination. So an immunocompetent patient with a primary CNS lymphoma will have enhancing periventricular mass that crosses the corpus callosum. They will enhance homogeneously because there is no necrosis. In contrast to this, an immunocompromised patient will not have homogeneous enhancement of their lymphoma. Lymphoma in an immunocompromised patient will have ring enhancement because there'll be central necrosis. So what you'll see is periventricular ring enhancement, predominantly within the basal ganglia. Now, something you absolutely have to memorize is the main differential for necrotic primary CNS lymphoma. And the main differential is toxoplasmosis. So an immunocompromised patient with ring enhancing lesions, your two biggest differentials are lymphoma and toxoplasmosis. There are four main ways to reliably tell the two apart. The first way is easy. You just give some toxoplasmosis treatment. If it responds, that's what it was. The second way is using thallium. Lymphoma is thallium avid. It will uptake thallium. Thirdly, you can do a PET scan. Lymphoma is also PET avid. It will uptake. And finally, perfusion scanning. Lymphoma will show increased cerebral blood volume, CBV. I'm going to say that again because it's really important that you memorize this. The main differentials for ring enhancing lesions in an immunocompromised patient are lymphoma and toxoplasmosis. The way to tell them apart are as follows. Lymphoma will be thallium avid. It will also be PET avid. And on perfusion scanning, lymphoma will have increased cerebral blood volume. Toxoplasmosis will not uptake thallium. It will not be PET avid and will not have increased perfusion. So primary CNS lymphoma, quick recap, the key features are as follows. It is in a periventricular location. It's particularly highly cellular, which will mean it will be hyperattenuating on CT, low signal on T2 MRI and show restricted diffusion. That's true for anything that's highly cellular. Features also, it will melt away with treatment but tends to recur very aggressively. Appearance depends on whether the patient is immunocompromised or immunocompetent. If they're immunocompetent you'll get an enhancing periventricular mass, a homogeneously enhancing mass with no necrotic areas which will cross the corpus callosum. Predominantly within the frontal lobes and the basal ganglia. In an immunocompromised patient you'll see a periventricular ring-enhancing mass, predominantly within the basal ganglia. The main differential in this case will be toxoplasmosis. The ways to tell toxoplasmosis apart, first of all, you can give some toxoplasmosis treatment. The other ways are thallium scanning, on which lymphoma will be avid. PET scanning, again, lymphoma is avid and perfusion scanning. Again, lymphoma shows increased cerebral blood volume. So lymphoma is positive for everything and toxoplasmosis is not. The next miscellaneous lesion is meningiomas. I've talked about them quite a lot 
in other groups, but meningiomas generally are benign lesions of older adults. You will find multiple meningiomas in neurofibromatosis 2 and also post-radiotherapy treatments. They're usually higher attenuation than the surrounding brain parenchyma and 25% of them will calcify. 25% calcifying is a general number. If you remember what I've said previously, if they are intraventricular meningiomas, they are more likely to calcify 50%. And if they are CP angle tumours, around 20% will calcify. How will you spot a meningioma? They have a broad-based dual attachment, that's key, and a dual tail. The dual tail is formed by vasoactive substances released by the meningioma. It's not tumour. I'm not going to dwell on meningioma because it's so common, many of you will know this anyway. So meningioma, benign lesion, older adults, multiple meningiomas in neurofibromatosis 2 and post-radiation treatment. They are hyperattenuating, calcified in 25%. They will have a broad-based dual attachment and a dural tail. And finally, metastases. We all know what METs look like. We've seen them on CT heads. Metastases most commonly come from the lung, breast and melanoma. Most spread hematogenously and therefore occur at the grey-white matter junction where the calibre of the small arterioles changes. METs are fairly straightforward, but I have to give them a passing mention. So that's it. That is brain tumours part two. We have covered intraventricular tumours. We've covered CP angle lesions and a bunch of miscellaneous things. I'm going to do a quick recap of everything and then we're done. Right, final quick recap. You're going to hate me, but you're going to remember it. Intraventricular tumours, first of all. We talked about central neurocytoma, intraventricular meningioma, choroid plexus papilloma, SEGA and subependymoma. Central neurocytoma was between 20 to 40 years of age, a low-grade young adult tumour lobulated heterogeneous mass attached to the septum pellucidum with a multiple cystic or bubbly appearance. Punctate calcification was a common feature and if they were big then hemorrhage was common. We then talked about intraventricular meningiomas, middle-aged 40-year-old females with a solid mass in the trigon of the lateral ventricle. 
50% calcified. Choroid plexus papilloma, most common tumour in babies under the age of one. It was a lobulated, heterogeneous, cauliflower-like mass lesion, T2 hyperintense, avidly frond-like enhancing. 25% had speckled calcification and almost all had hydrocephalus associated with Acardi syndrome and von Hippel-Lindau. Sega is exclusive to tuberous sclerosis, an enhancing mass in the lateral ventricle near the foramen of Monroe. Subependymoma is a non-enhancing mass, often in the fourth ventricle or within the lateral ventricle near the foramen of Monroe. As I've said, it did not enhance and is often smaller than a Sega, measuring under 2 centimetres. We moved on to CP angle lesions, lesions between the pons and the cerebellum, the vast majority of which are schwannomas. Schwannomas, remember, are solid masses, intensely enhancing high T2 signal, which cause widening of the porous acousticus. If they are big, then cystic degeneration is common, but they do not calcify. We must be able to differentiate schwannomas from other lesions of the CP angle. So comparing them with meningiomas, meningiomas will cause dual enhancement. They will have a broad dual base, like with all meningiomas. They often cause bony hyperostosis. 20% will calcify and they will not enlarge the porous acousticus. Comparing a schwannoma with an epidermoid cyst, an epidermoid cyst will follow water signal on T1 and T2 weighted images. However, unlike water, it will not suppress on flare and will show restricted diffusion. Comparing it with an arachnoid cyst, an arachnoid cyst is easy, it just follows CSF on everything. Aneurysms are common at the CP angle of the pica, acre, vertebral and basilar arteries. This should not be difficult to differentiate. A CTA or MRA will give you the answer. And finally, other lesions in the cerebellum can spread into the cerebellopontine angle. These will be things like ependymoma, which will squeeze through the foramen of Lushka, hemangioblastoma and medulloblastoma. Finally, we did the miscellaneous tumours, primary CNS lymphoma, which looks different whether you are immunocompetent or immunocompromised. Essentially, this is a periventricular, highly cellular lesion. If you are immunocompetent, it will show as an enhancing periventricular mass with no necrosis. In immunocompromised patients, it will show as a ring-enhancing mass because of central necrosis, the main differential for which is toxoplasmosis. Finally, we did meningiomas and metastases. This recap was obviously not comprehensive, just a summary of the main points I've talked about. So that's it. That's Brain Tumors Part 2. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed that episode and learned something. 
We did Brain Tumors Part 1 a fortnight ago. The following weekend we gave you a break and did something else, testicular tumors. And this weekend we've come back to brain tumors. That was intentionally done. We don't want to bombard you with too much information on the same topic because it will just cause things to be jumbled in your mind. So you have plenty of time for brain tumors part one to sink in and become part of your long-term memory. We'll be doing the same thing again. So next weekend we'll bring you a topic unrelated to brain tumors and come back to brain tumors part three in two weeks time. Brain Tumors Part 3 will be supracellar and pineal mass lesions. You asked for Disney music and we delivered. Music today was from the movie Tangled, quite possibly the most underrated Disney movie of all time. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's brilliant. If you liked what you heard, spread the word, drop us an email, drop us a tweet or a voice message. We love hearing from you. Don't forget to enter our competition. The details are on the Competition Time podcast episode. The best entry so far has only scored 3 out of 5. That's awful. Also, the current top entry is not even from a radiologist. So you guys are really letting the specialty down. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you next weekend.